0: Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on April 12, 2015, on the basis of John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Christ is risen. Have you ever noticed how many silly questions we ask our children? I think in general we we like to assume that we're smarter than our kids. Kids, you probably... Simply assume that your parents are fairly intelligent people, but, boy, sometimes we provide all kinds of evidence to the contrary. Like when we walk into a room, see a disaster that has just taken place, and we ask, who did this? What do we really expect? Yes, Mother, it was I. I freely confess to you that this was all my fault and that my sister had nothing to do with it. You can blame me. Or when someone's really misbehaving, really getting on our nerves, and we say, do you want me to give you a spanking? Yes, Dad, that is exactly what I want. I've been waiting for one all day long. In fact, that's why I'm acting so poorly. I want a spanking. Or maybe the silliest one of them all. How many times do I have to tell you? Well, Mother, by my count, it's been 362 times already, and I would estimate that it's going to take another 127, and then it'll finally sink in. Kind of silly questions, aren't they? And yet we ask them of our kids all the time. Today we're going to focus a little bit on that last one How many times do I have to tell you? No one likes to be ignored do they? No one likes to have to repeat themselves. And so when there's a message that we've been trying to communicate over and over again, but still isn't sinking in, it's no wonder that in frustration we ask that somewhat silly question. Do you suppose our God ever feels that way? Are there things in God's word that even you would recognize that you have needed to be told over and over and over again? Do you think that if God looked for those opportunities, he could identify even more for that list than, than we could? Today we're talking about here in church the thing that God tells us in his word that I would say is the hardest thing for us to believe. The thing that takes the most time, the thing that God needs to repeat the most times in order for it finally to sink in. And it's this idea of our status before God. Where do I stand with my maker? How does he view me? What does he think of me? And when my life on earth comes to an end, where do I expect to go? As we turn our attention to these words from the Gospel of John today, we're going to see Jesus answer those questions by saying the same exact thing over and over and over again. In fact, he repeats himself so many times that maybe we would wonder that in the back of his head, he's thinking, oh, how many times do I have to tell you? It was Easter Sunday evening and it had been a busy, busy day. started early in the morning as the women went out to the tomb and they discovered that it was empty. Later, Peter and John ran out to that tomb and they saw it for themselves. Later in the morning, the women, including Mary Magdalene, had actually seen Jesus alive with their own eyes. Peter had seen it as well. So had two disciples while they were walking on a road back to their home in a town called Emmaus. And yet in spite of everything that had happened and in spite of all the times that Jesus had told his disciples he was going to rise there they were on Easter Sunday evening, huddled together, huddled behind locked doors, still not sure how everything fit together, still afraid that they were next on the Jewish leaders' hit list. And so when Jesus appeared to them alive in that room, he really already at that point had the right to say, How many times? do I have to tell you? And yet instead, in great patience and great love, Jesus simply allowed them to see it for themselves. He allowed them to look at his hands and his feet. He allowed them to touch his side. He allowed them to watch him eat some food and be convinced beyond all doubt that he had risen from the dead. And it was on that basis that the first thing that Jesus said to those disciples was not some exasperated, frustrated question. Instead, he simply said to them, Peace be with you. Peace is yours. Now, for the Jewish people, that word peace was was kind of a big word, a big concept. You might remember that in prophecy, one of the titles that was given to the coming Savior was Prince of Peace. Just this past Good Friday, we heard Isaiah's prophecy where he said, the punishment that brought us peace would be upon him. And I'm sure you remember that on Christmas Eve, as the angels announced Jesus' birth to those shepherds, they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. So that word peace had been said by God over and over and over again. And yet as Jesus stood alive with his disciples on Easter Sunday evening, that word peace was true in a way that it had never been before. Peace was no longer just a promise. Peace was now a fact. You see, because just a couple of days earlier on Friday, God had taken all of the hostility, all of the anger, all of the rage that existed between mankind and its maker And God had put that on his son, Jesus. On that cross, Jesus had offered himself as the one great casualty needed to bring this war to an end. And on Easter Sunday morning, God the Father declared that peace had been achieved. That peace is yours that when God looks at you, he no longer sees a sworn enemy. He sees a trusted ally. Easter Sunday is proof that Good Friday worked. How many times does Jesus need to tell you where you stand with God? Well, the first time he declared peace, it was because he lives. Easter Sunday proves that Good Friday really worked. So do you think once is enough? When they saw Jesus, these disciples were overjoyed. They were filled with great joy upon seeing their Savior. And yet notice what Jesus did. He immediately said the very same thing a second time. Peace be with you. And this time he had more things that he wanted to say to them. Somewhat surprising things. He said, now is the time for me to send you out to do some important work. He said, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to equip you to do that work. And thirdly, the work that you are going to do is that I want you to go out and forgive people of their sins. Now, I should tell you that there are people, Christians even, who get very touchy about this whole subject. That one person could possibly have the right to say to someone else, I forgive you your sins. Or that I, as a pastor, could stand up here in front of an entire group of people and say to all of you, I forgive you your sins. In fact, they'll even quote biblical-sounding things like, No one can forgive sins except God alone. Well, here's exactly where Jesus tells us that we not only can, but should, forgive each other our sins. That when someone acknowledges their sin to you, it is not only your right, but it is your job to say, I forgive you. And that I can stand up here as a pastor, not because there's anything different or special about me, but simply because you have asked me to speak on your behalf. And I can say to all of you, I forgive you your sins. Jesus gives his entire church that right and that authority Right here, But you know, really there's a bigger point that we want to make from Jesus' words. When Jesus sends us out as his disciples to assure people of their forgiveness, it's just further proof of where we really stand with God. You see, Jesus could not send his disciples out to do this important work if the work that Jesus had been sent to do were not already finished. Jesus could not send us out to distribute the forgiveness of sins if forgiveness were not a real, actual thing. Let me put it this way. Let's say I were to say to you, I want you to go out this afternoon and I want you to cure people of their cancer. Could you do that? None of us could, right? But let's imagine that someone much smarter than you or I had actually cured cancer had produced that cure in mass quantities, had packaged that cure in a nice, neat and tidy little pill, had put that pill in a bottle and then handed the bottle to you. And now I said, I want you to go out this afternoon, visit the cancer ward of every hospital in Dane County, and I want you to cure people of their cancer. Could you do it? Well, of course you could. And I would guess that you would do it with great eagerness and joy, and the very fact that you could deliver that cure for cancer would be proof that someone had discovered it. So yes, Jesus sends us as his disciples out into the world to forgive people of their sins, and it is only further proof that forgiveness has actually and truly been accomplished by Jesus on the cross. It is only further proof of where we stand with our God. How many times does Jesus need to tell us? Well, the first time he declared peace, it was because he lives. Second time he declares peace, it's because he sends. He sends us out into the world to deliver what he accomplished with his death on the cross. So will two times be enough? Well, it probably would have been, except there was that one disciple who wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas didn't believe the others when they told him what had happened. And so now Thomas has this dubious distinction. Everyone knows him as Doubting Thomas. Well, thankfully, the very next week, the week after Easter, it'd be like today, tonight, they were huddled together again and this time, Thomas was with them. And did you notice what Jesus did? He didn't go over and yell at him or scold him. He allowed Thomas to see for himself as well. He gave Thomas exactly what he asked for. You see, Thomas was really no different from these other disciples. They had heard Jesus predict his own resurrection. They had heard the report of eyewitnesses, but they too, just like Thomas, would not believe it until they saw it for themselves. And so as a result, when Jesus appeared to Thomas, when he appeared to the entire group of disciples, again, there was no rebuke, no word of frustration. He simply said, now a third time, peace be with you. Thomas, Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed in order to believe. But you know, Jesus also knew that this couldn't go on forever. Jesus couldn't appear every single Sunday forever and allow people forever to walk up to him and put their fingers in the nail marks in his hands. And so not only did Jesus give Thomas everything that he needed to believe, Jesus also wanted to make sure that everyone else knew that they have exactly what they need to believe. And so Jesus said to Thomas, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus made it clear that seeing isn't believing. That faith without sight is possible. And do you know who heard those words? All of the disciples, of course, but there was one guy in the room, maybe the youngest guy in the entire crowd, a guy by the name of John. The very same John who, when he was no longer a young man, but a very, very old man, sat down and wrote this book, this book that goes by his name, the Gospel of John. And at that time, decades after Jesus had gone back up into heaven, he was writing to a group of people who had never seen Jesus alive for themselves and who never, ever would. And yet he wanted them to know that they, too, had everything that they needed to believe. So he said, look, I could tell you about all kinds of things that Jesus did while he was here on this earth. I saw all of them with my own two eyes, but these I've written down so that you, you people who haven't seen Jesus alive, may still believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, we who live centuries later don't need to feel like second-class citizens compared to the eyewitnesses. We can have just as much certainty that Jesus rose from the dead and that we are at peace with God. And that certainty comes from the power that God has given to his word. Reading that Jesus rose from the dead here is just as good as seeing it with your own eyes. Hearing that your sins are forgiven here, either from me to you or from you to me, is just as good as hearing it from Jesus himself. How many times does Jesus need to tell you where you stand with God? Well, the first time it was because he lives. The second time, because he sends. And now the third time, Jesus declares peace because he blesses his word, with the power to cause us to believe. So is the third time the charm? Like I said at the beginning, I think this is the single most difficult thing for us as Christians to believe. And I know full well the reason why. It's because of all of the evidence to the contrary. I look at my life and all I see is selfishness, greed, impatience with the people around me? I look into my heart and I see misplaced priorities. I see doubt and worry. How in the world am I supposed to believe that my sins have all been forgiven, that I stand here right now at peace with God and that when my time comes, he will welcome me into heaven with open arms? How in the world can I believe that beyond all doubt? Well, it's because Jesus says so over and over and over again. And as I mentioned last week, if a guy can predict his own resurrection and pull it off, we probably should listen to him when he says, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. In fact, in Jesus, we really have a perfectly good answer to that sometimes silly question that we ask our kids. How many times does he need to tell us where we stand with God? Well, because he loves us, the answer is as many times as it takes. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.